Welcome to the C12 Podcast. My name is Matt Enzer, and today we are in a very special Monday, Thursday service to help us understand the days before Easter. We hope you are encouraged and guided by today's message. Oh, it is Monday, Thursday. Now, I know that some of you are going to cheat because I've already shared this with you in our volunteer huddle today, so that's okay. Uh, but how many of you would raise your hand and say, I know exactly what Monday, Thursday means? what it is. I've been celebrating it my whole life. Right? Nobody knows what this is. But see, that wouldn't have been true years and years ago in the church. Monday, Thursday is actually a day that is remembered and honored. And I want to say celebrated. While I use the term celebrate, um, I don't know if it's an appropriate word to say celebrate, but it is certainly remembered and, and we pay attention in the church Decades, decades, even centuries ago. Now, maybe many, many more of you have heard of Good Friday, correct? That is tomorrow. And actually, is even in modern world and church culture um, very much known and honored. Good Friday uh, being the day that we remember the death of Jesus when he died. But as I was thinking about the C12 that would occur before Easter... I had two decisions, or I had two, I guess I should say, two roads I could travel. Um, I could take the road of a, you know, a, a C12, similar to what we do every week, one like last week, and last week, y'all, if you were here last week, I mean, can I get an amen? I don't know what to tell you. I don't even know how to describe it to you, other than um, I have Yona, our worship leader that led worship last week. I have his calories from his watch, and he burned 800 calories during worship. That's a lot of calories during worship, y'all. Um, we had, there was some stuff going on. So I thought, well, we could do that, <clears throat> which I think is probably what everyone's going to come in expecting. And even people visiting are going to come in having been told, you know, that's what to expect. But there was something inside of me that I could not get away from. And there was a prompt of the Holy Spirit that I couldn't ignore. And I wanted to take you on a different journey. Because as we said, and as I've said, I just have zero interest in, like, leading some ministry where we just come in and we just want to feel good and we just want to leave a little inspired. I wanted to be a part of something where lives are transformed. Don't you want to be a part of that? I mean, don't you want to be a part of something real that has depth and understanding and knowledge that you then apply to wisdom? And so I want to give you some knowledge tonight that you're going to be able to apply or not as you, um, as you decide. But the different road I chose to take tonight is to build in space and time to prepare our hearts to truly walk through the Easter weekend. To really walk through it with an understanding of what actually occurred. See, most of the time we know Easter happens and we celebrate it. And if you do attend church on Easter, I mean, it is a celebration. Of course it's a celebration, y'all. He rose from the dead. I mean, yes and amen. It's why we're sitting here today. In fact, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, this is nothing. We're not here. Church doesn't exist. We're here because of Easter. But so much happened in the leading up to that moment. And Monday. Thursday is today. 
Now, it comes from the Latin word command, the word mandi, means command or commandment. Because on the Thursday before his death, Jesus issues a new command to the disciples at their last meal together. And he says to them in John 13, they're sitting around the table. This is a famous Leonardo da Vinci painting of them sitting around the table. And Jesus says to them, a new command I give you, love one another. Isn't that interesting that he says a new command? One might think, how is that new? Oh, it's new to them. See, they had 613 rules that the Jewish religion had told them to follow. None of them included love one another. 613. So when Jesus says, hey, I'm giving you a new commandment, it really was new. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, the darkness and waiting of Saturday, which in my personal opinion must have been the darkest day ever in the history of the world. Everyone thinks Jesus is dead, including his followers. Hope is gone. All is lost. Nobody knows what to do. They're in hiding, afraid for their life, because their leader has been killed, and people want to kill them too. But then Resurrection Sunday, Easter, and so on that Monday, Thursday night, there was an intentionality as they sat around that table from Jesus, every word he said, every action he did, every motion, every step, he washed their feet. See, in that day and time, it was customary, in fact, expected. It wasn't just a nice perk. It truly was expected that when you came to someone's home or you were being served a meal prior, a servant would come in and would wash the feet of those at the table because they wore sandals, walked on dirt and dust, people's feet were dirty, and for some reason, I don't know why they didn't wash their hands, but they were going to eat. Nonetheless, everyone's feet were clean. But that night, instead of a servant doing it, Jesus did it. Jesus washed the feet of his disciple, and they objected. Of course, Peter objected because we know that's what Peter does. No, 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 no. You're not washing my feet. It's like when John the Baptist said, no, 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 no. You're not baptizing me. And Jesus says, oh, yes, I am. And why was he doing that? He was modeling for them. He was showing them. He was displaying for them. This is how you love. You humble yourself. You see other people as better than you. You honor. Love isn't about what you get. Love is about what you give. It's laying your life down for one another. He was modeling them for this. The Lord's Supper is what it's often called, that last meal. We call it often communion. Have you heard of communion? Okay. Maybe taken communion at a church at some point. Maybe you haven't, and that word is completely foreign to you. But we celebrate something in the church called the Lord's Supper. 
communion, and we're going to do that tonight. It is symbolic of the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples that night. It is a ritual. We have a lot of food rituals. Now, we don't tend to like the word ritual. We tend to go, oh, ritual, that feels weird. Ritual, weird. But we have a lot of food rituals. We actually just have a lot of rituals in our life. But when it comes to food, uh, you know, little kids, when they have tea parties, or they make mud pies, there are rituals that we associate with different holidays when it comes to food, right? When it comes to Thanksgiving, a ritual is that people eat turkey. Or if they're smart, they eat ham, in my opinion. There is, honestly, one of my favorite things in the entire world is when it gets around to fall, it's like that first piece of homemade pumpkin pie. There is nothing like it. It's like it just, you all of a sudden feel like, oh, it's fall. It's fall now. Like, we have rituals that we ha do with food, right? That we just associate with different things. Often a first date, not all the time, but often a first date will include dinner, right? So this ritual that we do when we date. A wedding, there's a wedding cake, correct? It's a ritual, it's something that we do. It's, it's, it's just something you have. Often after a funeral, there will be a funeral dinner for the family and friends. It's a ritual. We have a lot of food rituals. In fact, eating together is something that whether we understand it or not, is just part of who we are. Food just brings us together. In fact, tonight after C12, I'm really sure that a whole bunch of you are going to go invade some restaurants. Yes, Matt Enzer? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I've been with you when you do this, and 60 people show up at like Taco Mac, right? It's like insane. All the waitresses start to cry. It's a bad deal. But nonetheless, nonetheless, right? Or Waffle House, is that the new one? Waffle House? Taco Mac, okay. And they still let us come, which is great, it's great. But the breaking of bread together is a powerful thing. And we just kind of take it for granted, but it honestly is. It takes time. If you're preparing the meal, to prepare it, to get it ready. It takes time to sit down with people have conversation, laugh, spend an evening together, deepen relationships. So I want to tell you the point, the purpose of that Last Supper and of the communion ritual we are going to observe tonight. And here's what it is. Communion is a ritual that writes relationships. Do we have that somewhere? Don't know? Communion is a ritual that writes relationships. It's a lot of words there. It'll take a minute to soak in. But communion is a ritual that writes relationships. Now, to understand the, the real why behind communion and the last supper that Jesus had, you know, pictured behind me with his disciples, we actually have to go to the first meal ever had, ever talked about in the Bible. So we're actually going to go all the way back to the garden, and I think that we actually have a picture of that as well, correct? Yes. You are welcome. You're welcome for this. I, <laughs> I texted Emily, I was like, Emily, I need a picture of this and this, and she was like, I don't think you understand how hard it is to find a picture of Adam and Eve when they're not naked. So um, they actually were naked in the one she found, and we just, 
I mean, we're in church, right? You got to keep it PG-ish. So leave this up for me. So God created man and woman and put them in the Garden of Eden where every single one of their needs were met. Every single one. They literally walked and talked with God in the garden. They walked and talked with God literally so much that Genesis tells us Adam could recognize God's footsteps as he heard them in the grass of the garden. There was only one rule in the garden. Don't eat from that tree that you see Eve actually serving an apple from. You can do anything you want. All the mountains, all everything. Just don't eat from that tree. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, he asked the woman, did God really say? If you have your, like, a, like a paper Bible with you, you should highlight, circle those four words. Did God really say? Oh, my goodness. So much inside of those four words. Did God really say, you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Eve says, of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. Verse 3, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse 4, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. See, the enemy will take a legitimate desire, like hunger, legitimate, and offer you an illegitimate solution. He will take something that God put in you made you to want, to desire. And then he will sidle up to you and offer you something that looks good, doesn't seem all that bad, makes you some promises. But it goes against God's word and he makes you doubt that God actually wants good for you. Did God really say? I mean, Eve, did he? The enemy will come along and say, hey, no, 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 you don't want this. You, want, you don't want to eat at this table. You want to eat at a better table. Here, come over here. I've got a better table for you. Here, here, here. Why don't you come sit down with me? 
no, 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 no. You don't, you, don't, you don't want that. You want to eat at my table. You, you want to hear from me all of, of the ways that you could satisfy that desire inside of you. All these sources you could have, yet, yet God has made it clear. The devil will use your desires against you, hoping to leave you broken and dependent on something that can never satisfy you. See, before they ate, there was no shame, no sin, no separation. After they ate, there was shame and separation due to sin. Did you catch that? Before, no shame. After, full of shame. And all she did was eat the fruit. She ate a piece of fruit. It, at, at first glance, you think, what's the big deal? It's a piece of fruit. No, no. She doubted that what God said was true, that God would supply all her needs, that God would be her source of sustenance, that she would never be hungry again. She doubted all that. She said, you know what, God, what you're saying to me can't possibly be all there is. See, this guy over here, he says there's more. He says you are withholding from me. So because he says you're withholding from me and the fruit doesn't look all that bad, I'm going to take a bite. But the moment, shame. Because what shame does is it, 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 it makes things clear real quick. I had a conversation with a young woman this week. And she came to me and she wanted to talk. And she began to confess to me that in her relationship with her boyfriend, she felt, well, she said, I have crossed some of the boundaries physically that I'd originally set up. And said, here are my boundaries. Here's what I will, won't do in this relationship. Here's why. And she said, but I've gotten into this relationship. And it just, you know, like it would start kissing. And then it would move to this. And then it would move to this. She was like, and I would ever, you know, I just, I, you know, I'd said, well, I wasn't going to do this. But then ended up doing that. And it just, I kept starting thinking like, well, really, how bad is it? How bad could this be? And I said, well, I mean, you tell me. How do you feel? She goes, man, she goes, I feel really dirty. I feel really dirty, Heather. If I'm honest, the things she was telling me, if I were to tell you what they were, you would go, that's not bad. What? That's hardly anything. But she'd made some decisions. And she felt like God had asked her to have certain boundaries. So it really wasn't about what other people or anyone would say was bad, or no, no, that's really bad, or no, 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 that's. It was just more than what she knew God had asked of her. She goes, I just feel really dirty. I said, well, I got good news for you. We walked through what it means to have grace from Jesus. And that she's not dirty. And that she's not tainted 
and you can back the bus up. It's possible. But see, she did that because in a moment, she believed the lie of the enemy that went, you know what, maybe what you're saying to me isn't really what's best for me. Maybe I'd enjoy this more. Maybe the serpent's right. Maybe I would like this more. And then covered in shame. Feeding from the wrong source always results in shame and separation, no matter what it is. When God has said this to you, any deviation from this results in you feeling distant and full of shame. Well, I know that God wants me to do this or not to do this or to engage this or to not engage this. And any time you don't walk 100% of the way with him and you take a bite. And then we get surprised at how distant and separate we feel because really is it all that bad? Well, whenever you get into deciding what level of sin your particular sin lands in, you're in a dangerous place. Sin is sin. Feeding from the wrong source, again always results in separation. So why did God let them make this choice? I've often wondered, really, Lord? Because, I mean, if you say to someone, you can have anything you want but that, what do we want? That. So why did God, why on earth would he even give them a choice? Why doesn't he just, like, make it so they can have whatever they want? You know? Or why doesn't he actually detail what will happen if they eat it? Well, God gives them the choice, because choice is one of the greatest gifts God has ever given us. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis, um, one of the greatest thinkers, theologians ever to have lived. But if you don't know that, you might know he also wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, the movies. He didn't write the movies, but he wrote the books that led to the movies. But he gives this quote that says, why then did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, which is true, people can choose evil, is also the only thing that makes possible love or goodness or joy worth having. Because is love really love if you don't choose it? Can you force love? You can't force someone to love you. And God, as much as he loved the, the walks in the garden, did not want to force Adam and Eve to love him. And so he said, you can have everything. Don't eat from this tree. This is your choice. It's not about the tree, it's about the choice. Will you choose to trust me? Will you, will you choose to walk with me? Will you choose to believe me? Will you choose to depend on me or will you doubt me? Will you choose me? Have you ever wanted that? Have you ever felt like, why won't they choose me? Why won't my dad choose me or my mom choose me? Why wasn't that friend choose me or that boyfriend or that girlfriend? Or why won't my spouse, why won't that employer, why won't they choose me? We all want to be chosen. God wants to be chosen. He chose you. He loves you. He knows that. There's no doubt. He wants to know if you love him. Will you choose him? 
One of the devil's greatest lies is that God withholds good from us. So you start to believe that you're responsible for your own good. The next person or the next event or the next paycheck or job or transition will bring you good and then life will finally be good. And so you find yourself looking to those sources and feeding from those sources, yet always finding yourself dissatisfied. The thing you wanted, you get, and then six months later, it's not quite enough. Well, now I need to find something different, something better. Ironically, when that occurs, we blame God. We feed from other sources. We go to the table, sit down with the devil, have a conversation, eat some fruit, and then when it goes bad, we go, well, what? where, where were you? Where were you? And he's thinking, I've been here. I've been here. But we all have a choice. Ever since the tree and the fruit, we've been table hopping. Ever since the tree and the fruit, brokenness has been our reality. But here's the hope. This is what I said to this young woman. The bread and the wine is the meal God started planning the moment the fruit and the tree went wrong. As soon as they ate that fruit, the next meal was being planned. As soon as Eve bit into that, Jesus knew. There would be a day that he would sit around with his disciples and that there would be a day that we would do what we're about to do. Matthew chapter 26, there's a, when we have a picture of the Last Supper, or at least as a famous artist depicts it. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve. And this is, this is Thursday. This is Monday, Thursday. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. I mean, that's a, that's a mood killer. Greatly distressed. And I love this painting because I think you kind of get the idea that they're, they're all like in these hushed conversations. Like Jesus just said, somebody's going to betray me. And they all start going, wait, wait, who? Is it you? Well, it's not me. Is it you? Is it him? I'll bet it's him. I mean, they all start to have these conversations. Who is he talking about? Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one, Lord? Am I the one? He replied, one of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. Now, that is revolutionary. He said, Somebody's gonna, somebody just ate with me from this bowl. See, they all knew you couldn't eat with anybody in that day. That culture said you don't eat with anyone unless you are in unity and peace with that person. So whoever was going to betray him just defied the cultural law of the day. And Jesus calls it out. One of you just ate from this bowl. He's saying, one of you just ate the fruit. One of you bought into the lie. He's saying, you will forget me. The fear will take over. You're gonna he knew, you're going to forget that I calmed the seas. You're going to forget that I raised Lazarus from the dead. You're going to forget that I fed 50,000 people with like a Long John Silver's meal. You're going to forget all of these things, and you're going to forget them so quickly. You are going to betray me. Verse 24, for this, he keeps going, right? For the Son of Man must die 
as the scriptures declared long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. How terrible it will be. Listen to this. It would be far better for that man if he'd never been born. Imagine. Imagine being Judas. He's sitting at the table, by the way. I mean, he's already done the deed. And Jesus says, it would be better for him to never have been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? That's some bold. (laughs) That's that's bold, y'all. Jesus told him, you've said it. Jesus does not play, y'all. He does not play. You didn't even know that was in the Bible, did you? Your level for Jesus just ratcheted up like a whole nother level, didn't it? You're like, yeah, buddy. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Now, Jesus was not saying that the bread literally turned into his body. And that the wine literally turned into blood. There are some places and teachings that actually teach that. It's called transubstantiation. It's not true. It was symbolic of his body and his blood being broken for those whom he loved. Really, for every man and woman. A little fun fact for you, a little trivia. One of the accusations they used to make against the early Christians of that day were that they were cannibals. John, Peter, they're cannibals. Because they would talk about the body and blood of Jesus. And that they were going to go have the Lord's Supper together and remember and intake and eat the body and blood of Jesus. And so they were accused of being cannibals. (laughs) The miracle is not that the bread and wine are transformed. The miracle is that we are transformed. And when we partake in this ritual, we remember that. In fact, that night, Jesus said, remember. In fact, if you go into some really, really traditional churches, often there will be a table, uh, like on the stage, and it just sits there all the time. And when I was growing up in this very, very traditional church, carved into that table were the words, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you eat and drink, Jesus would say to them, you remember me every time. Now, why was he saying that? This is the pivot point. This is where the whole meal shifts. Why does he say every time you eat and drink, remember me? Because this was the symbol of the new thing Jesus came to do. It was a symbol of the blood of Christ atoning for our sin. A symbol of the blood of Christ covering our shame of the broken body of Christ, making the unholy holy, no more separation, the broken now binded. Okay, y'all, this is in my notes. So this is, this is where, this is like the stuff. This is the stuff. Listen. Okay, so when Adam and Eve felt shame, what'd they go do? They went and got some what? Leaves, twigs, clearly. Oh, we didn't get like clearly, like Eve's, I mean, you know, not a lot going on, just some twigs, leaves. 
If you keep reading in Genesis, God came along, saw their shame, saw them in their leaves and twigs, and he says, man, I want to cover this shame for you. It says that God himself went out, killed an animal. He goes hunting. Killed an animal, stripped the animal himself, gutted it, got the skin off, cleaned it up, and made them clothing out of the animal's skin. Because that's who God is. God says, whatever you're trying to do, however you're trying to solve these problems in your life, you cannot do it. It's not adequate. In fact, you're going to have to keep remaking those clothes every other day. Let me make something for you that will be lasting. But then Jesus, when Jesus, it says that he was the lamb that was slain, his blood, that animal died. Just like the animal died that God killed for that sin and that blood covered their shame. This animal, the the final lamb, the final sacrifice of Jesus, that blood covered the shame forever so that we don't have to keep making ourselves clothes, so that we don't have to follow the 613 rules of the Old Testament Torah. We don't have to do that anymore. It's been fully covered, and we get to walk without shame. And that is what the entirety of that last meal meant. My blood shed for you. My body broken, covering you. My blood, my skin, my body, who I am covering your shame. Communion began a ritual that would become a reminder of what it took for men and women to be reconciled to God. Communion is a ritual that writes the relationships. If you go to Psalm 23, 5, King David writes, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, right? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I can sit down across from, I can encounter any person, any time, any place, and God is with me. He has prepared the table before me. And then in Luke chapter 22, the message version, see there's going to be another meal. Did you all know this? You have the garden, you've got that last supper, and then there's a final meal. We, none of us have had it yet, by the way, but it's going to happen. If you're a Christian, Luke, you're going to love this. Luke 22, verse 14. When it was time, he sat down, all the apostles with him, and said, You've no idea how much I've looked forward to eating this Passover meal with you before I enter my time of suffering. So, last supper. And then he says this. It's the last one I'll eat until what? We all eat eat it together in the kingdom of God. Y'all, when we get to heaven, Revelation talks about a feast. Like, and I'm thinking the feast of heaven ain't no joke. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not Chick-fil-A. Although some might argue it is in heaven. Like, the feast of the supper of the Lamb. That's what it's called. In heaven. So we're going to move into our time of communion today. The band's going to come. See, the external need to eat is not our only need. You have internal needs. You have needs inside of you to belong, to be loved, to be satisfied, to be fulfilled and content. 
And this is the table that meets all those needs. It's representative. It's symbolic. It's not something we do just because everybody else does it. No, no. When you do this, when you come to the table, as I'm going to invite you to do in just a minute, when you come to the table, there's a loaf of bread and it's been broken in half. Symbolic of the body of Christ that was broken for you. There's a cup of juice. And you can take a piece of the bread and you dip it in the juice. If you're not comfortable with that, there's, there's little cups with some bread in them and some juice that you can take if you're just not quite comfortable yet. Um, taking open bread or juice. But let me tell you what it takes to be able to do this, okay? Again, this is not a place, this is not a ministry where we are okay with just doing things for the sake of doing them. We really only do things because um, we mean them and we have intentionality with them. And as Jesus sat and, and was intentional with his disciples that night, he said, this new commandment, love other people as I have loved you. Remember this. See, he knew Peter was going to go deny him. He knew Judas was, had sold him out. He knew that when he was up on the cross that literally every single disciple was, had run and gone with the wind, except for John. John was there. All the rest had gone nowhere, nowhere to be found. He knew all of that was going to take place. And yet he ate with them. Scripture, it, it actually reads like this. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus broke bread. Are you kidding me? Guess what I'm doing with the people who betray me? Well, I'm not breaking bread. I'm not at the table. See ya. But Jesus wasn't just talking to them. He was talking to us. Did you know that? He knew the Bible would be in our hands. He knew we'd be here in this moment. And it was not just about the disciples. When he said, hey, every time you do this, remember me, he was talking to you. He was saying to you, I know, I know you're going to eat the fruit. And I know you're going to try and cover yourself up with all kinds of things. And I just want you to know that I forgive you ahead of time. I forgive you in the meantime and I forgive you after. All he asks, all he asks is that we choose him. That we choose him. And so band's going to play and I'm going to pray. And when I'm done praying, I'm going to invite you to, there's a table there and there's a table here. I'm going to invite you when you're ready. There's not going to be like this big strategy as to how we do it. Whenever you're ready. You can get up out of your seat. You can make your way to one of the two tables. Take the bread, dip it in the juice, or take the other um, disposable cup. The Bible doesn't really give any requirement for taking this other than you are a follower of Jesus and that you are choosing to make your relationship right with Jesus. 
Communion is a ritual that writes relationships. <laughs> you don't have to do it tonight. You don't have to do it. And guess what? Nobody would think a stinking thing. In fact, if you're like, I know I can't do it tonight. I know I can't do it because I have this relationship in my life and it's not right. Or I have this conflict in my life and I need to go make it right. Or I know that I have work to do with the Lord and I can't do it. That's okay. You know what? You could come and take one of these and just take it with you. And after you make the relationship right, after you do what you need to do in the quietness of your space and your place, you can take communion, you and, the, and you and the Lord on your own. You might decide that tonight's the night you want to give your life to Jesus, and this is your first act as a follower of Jesus. Yeah, that's awesome. You might come and get this, and then you might just take it to another place in the room, and you might sit with the Lord and go, Lord, i got to make some things right with you, and then you do it, and then you eat it. That's what you do. That's what we do. We're in a relationship. So, Lord, I, I pray in this moment, Jesus. Jesus, I pray that this would not be just some empty ritual, but this would be a ritual that is a marking moment for all of us, that we remember that night. We remember that Maundy Thursday night that you sat with your friends knowing exactly what was about to occur. In fact, you were so grieved over what was about to occur. We read that you actually cried tears and blood poured out of your pores. You were in such agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, so overcome with grief. Lord, I pray as we take communion together, Lord, that there would be relationships in this room that are made right. There would be things that need to be cleared up between you and them that are cleared up. Sins confessed, forgiveness received, relationship restored. We give you these moments. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to the C12 podcast today. I hope this helped you gain a new appreciation for what Easter means to us as Christians. And we went into a time of communion after this podcast finished. And so definitely recommend taking some time to take communion and reflect on what God has done for you and make things right with him as well. Next week, we will have a guest speaker. His name is Yona. He actually leads us in worship at C12 a lot, and he is a part of our worship team at 12 Stone. And he will be speaking on what it means to be disciples of Christ. If you were encouraged and guided by today's message, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about College of 12 Stone, give us a follow on Instagram at C12 Stone. Hope to have you join us next week.